Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Good Monday to you. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch. Means it's time for the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Telephone number is 615-737-1045. 737-1045. Big Orange Hotline following us here tonight. Talking college football. Because college football technically started on Saturday night. If you saw me tweet out during the Wyoming game, their head coach looks like Strickland from Back to the Future. And so I dropped a Marty McFly. Well, I dropped a Strickland line from the original BTTF when he went nuts over that targeting call. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about rules before we get done this hour. But I tell you, I'm not going to waste your time, so I'm not going to waste your time. Let's get into it. Episode number 29 of the Big Six. Hope your Monday has been good. We watched a preseason game on Saturday, and my tweet read as follows. Of all the preseason football games I have seen in my life, that Titans-Steelers game was the most recent at the time that it happened. I watched a little bit of Dallas and Arizona during my live fantasy draft last night. Saturday was ugly. It was really ugly. And I will just go ahead and again, 737-1045, are you worried If you're a Titans fan out there, are you worried based on what you've seen in the preseason? Are you worried about Mariota? Are you worried about this defense? Are you worried about other things about this football team? Or do you not care? It was ugly. The Mariota short hop intended for Corey Davis. I've seen high schoolers miss that throw, but NFL quarterbacks don't really miss that throw. There was some poor defense. It was nasty, but I'm here to tell you, unless you're foolish, please don't react too strongly to preseason. Don't overreact to what you're seeing right now. You've heard what I've had to say about Marcus Mariota, and I'll say it again. I think Marcus Mariota is somewhere between the 15th and 20th best quarterback in the NFL, and I think that in five years, Marcus Mariota is going to be somewhere between the number 15 and number 20 quarterback in the NFL. I just think that's who that guy is. He's average. He's an average quarterback, great human being. I think there will be days when he looks great, and there'll be days when he doesn't. He's not going to be a consistently great quarterback in this league. I just don't see it. There's still time for that to be done. I haven't given up hope on him. That's just my prediction right now. He's got a couple of years still in Nashville, to prove that he can be the guy. He has the tools to be the guy. 
but I'm not going to look at one short hop and lose my mind the way social media did. Let's for let's just calm down for a second. Preseason is not canon. Preseason is not gospel. Preseason is all right. So you watch Breaking Bad, right? Or you watch Better Call Saul, or you watch The Walking Dead, or you watch whatever it might be. Usually, if a show is popular enough, especially dramas, there will be these like mini-sodes. That's what they're called. Where you'll get emails if you're like a fan of that show, a big enough fan to have been on the mailing list. And they'll say, hey, check out this mini-sode that's like a seven-minute side episode that's just some little nothing story, some little quirky thing for what I like to call fanatical completionists. Fanatical completionists are people that have to watch every episode of every show in order, or they can't do it. Like somebody will walk up to me and they'll say, hey, can I watch Ozark if I didn't watch the first season? In that case, the answer is no. But there are shows in which you can. I would tell you you can watch The Center from season two on if you would like to. I wouldn't necessarily say you should because season one was worth watching. But there are shows that build, and then there are shows that are more standalone. But there are people that can't ask that question. That if it's seven seasons in, they're still going to start at the first episode, even if it's like a procedural like CSI where it really doesn't matter. So these mini-sodes, AMC does it all the time. FX has done it before. USA has done it before. But I, I think AMC is the one that does it the most. You go watch this like six or seven minute deal, and you feel like you know something that other people don't know about these characters. But what you should realize, and what I think most people do realize when they're looking at this stuff, is that it's not essential because it's never going to be brought up in the show outside of maybe some random flippant sentence that doesn't really mean anything. It's not something you have to have seen in order to understand what's actually happening in the show or to even get anything out of it. It is completely arbitrary. It's just for people that love the show so much that they're going to soak up every little detail. I admittedly, as someone that has written and talked about television and film in particular for much of this decade, will tell you I have never watched one of these minisodes before because I know that it's completely irrelevant. This is just a voluntary situation. And that's kind of how I feel about preseason. As a viewer for me, I know that that product's not for me. Like I said, I, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I sat down with Dave McGinnis, and Dave McGinnis said, look, it's really for situations. It's to put guys out there in as many different situations, especially pressure-filled situations as you can, and to see how they respond. If they respond poorly, you want to get them in that situation again so that you can see if there's progress. You want to see who can step up in those moments and be the answer for that various situation. That's what preseason is. It's repetitions and it's situations. So when guys don't play well and they're starters, I just kind of shrug my shoulders. I am the human equivalent in the preseason of a shrug emoji, which is why I don't sit there on Twitter constantly last night or on Saturday, or on Friday, looking for hot takes about what happened in the preseason. Mariota looked terrible on Saturday. But I don't know that that informs upon anything that he's going to do in a regular season. We don't know yet. I've already told you, I think he's kind of an average quarterback. 
and that's about what he's going to be. But that opinion didn't change because he short-hopped Corey Davis on Saturday. Now, here's a larger point, though, about the value of preseason being as long as it is. Mickey Ryan did math, which I truly appreciate because it means I didn't have to do the math. Marcus Mariota has played just over 21 game minutes over the course of these three games. 40 plays, basically. I ask you, what exactly has Marcus Mariota gained by that playing time? Other than making a lot of people worried about the future or overreact to every little throw. In those 21 game minutes of preseason action, has he gotten better at all? Could he have even gotten better at all? Would we know even if we watched it? He's still Marcus Mariota for better or for worse. Of those 40 plays, of those 21 game minutes, I would suggest we've learned nothing that we already didn't know about Marcus Mariota. I would suggest that Marcus Mariota has learned nothing about himself that he didn't already know. And in general, I would say Vrabel and the coaching staff haven't really learned all that much more about Marcus Mariota. It's why Aaron Rodgers never starts in the preseason game one. It's why we didn't see Roethlisberger at all for Pittsburgh until Saturday. Because, again, 40 plays, 21 game minutes. Now, here's another piece of math that I want you to pay attention to. In those 40 plays in those 21 game minutes, it's very possible nothing positive could have happened. But of those 40 plays in 21 game minutes, it takes exactly one play or one second to lose Marcus Mariota for 16 games times 60 minutes, at least when the offense is on the field. And that is why we are seeing more and more teams across the league not play their starters nearly as long in the, quote, dress rehearsal, unquote, third game, or not even play them at all. And this is a calculated decision by NFL franchises. It seems to try and force the NFL to shorten the preseason by about a game because they're making it useless as a product. Now, you're going to have the people that maybe you're going to get cut a deal for preseason tickets, but you... If you have season tickets, you're still paying full price in a lot of situations. I've watched very little of the NFL preseason. I know it's not for me. I watch a little bit of each game. I watch these rookie quarterbacks. And then I kind of get my fill and I'm ready for September the 9th. But I'm looking at these injuries. Last night I'm in the midst of this live fantasy draft with some friends. And... Marquise Lee is sitting there on the board. Marquise Lee is going to be sitting there all season because he's done. His season is over because of a hit in the uh, game with the Falcons and the Jaguars over the weekend. And that's just truly unfortunate. It's, It's unfortunate for Lee. I feel terrible for him. It's unfortunate for the Jaguars. It's unfortunate for the NFL. You don't want to see anybody go down. You certainly don't want to see potentially you know, really good football players go down. That's not good for your product. Injuries can happen anytime. I said that a couple of weeks ago, and I ran down that crazy list of baseball injuries through the years that make no sense, like the salad tongs that nearly broke a guy's hand and, you know, all sorts of craziness. Guy crashing through a wall and then through a glass coffee table because he woke up 
after feeling like he was covered in spiders in a dream and he's deathly afraid of spiders. It can happen anytime. I can get hurt right now. I can stand up out of this chair, uh, you know, lose my balance and break my kneecap. You never know. But the risks are higher when you're doing something competitively on a football field, especially when some people are going at about 80%, which is when you can really get yourself hurt. So the questions continue to be asked why you need this many games for all but the guys that are really on the bubble. You need it for the coaches to be able to get their signals down and to get their timing down and to you know communicate with one another through headsets, especially new staffs like what we've got with Vrabel and Lafleur and Pease and all of these guys here in Tennessee. And of course, they're not the only new group. And so they are thankful because they're able to kind of get used to what it's going to be like in a game, communicating with one another, communicating with the team on the field, play calls, again, timing, situations, clock management, all of those things. I see the value there for the coaching staffs. I absolutely do. I continue to think, though, that we could do this with two or three preseason games, maybe three, and a combined scrimmage. Maybe two combined scrimmages, but a little bit more actual 11, 11 on 11 in a combined scrimmage as opposed to the one-on-ones or the three-on-threes or things like that. I think that we could learn a tremendous amount, that the teams could learn a tremendous amount about what they need to learn it without having to go through the four preseason games. Because we've gotten to the point where this fourth preseason game, all teams are going to be in action on Thursday, including, of course, the Titans. We'll have coverage right here all across the zone, starting at 5 p.m. All these teams are going to be in action, and even Red Zone is doing a full Red Zone night for preseason week four, but nobody's going to play. As a product, it's not good. I just don't know what we're learning at this point. I feel sorry for what happened to Marquise Lee, and Twitter and social media have become the place to overreact in this world. And so Marcus Mariota is now complete garbage because he couldn't throw to Corey Davis on Saturday wide open. That was an awful play, an awful play. And it was in the preseason and it didn't count. And who knows whether or not Marcus Mariota ever makes a throw that bad again in his entire career. I'm just saying we can't overreact to this stuff. And because we can't even really react to it, we can't even say, oh, well, we learned something about this guy here because of what he did in the preseason. Think about Baker Mayfield and how he looked when he was finally out there against the ones after Terod Taylor got hurt on Thursday night. Oh, you know what? One thing we can learn about the preseason on our way to break, and I see we've got Bell and Titan Woman on the line. Hang with us. We'll get to you as soon as we come back. We learned that Hugh Jackson's not a head football coach in the NFL. There are people that are one step above where they should be. Hugh Jackson is a fantastic coordinator. He is not a head football coach. And I have to wonder with Todd Haley and Greg Williams watching that act, putting Terod Taylor back in the game, whether or not they had any respect for Hugh Jackson as a head coach when both of them have been head coaches, success to varying degrees to be sure. Hugh Jackson's a coordinator. He's not a coach. I think the same thing about Coach O at LSU. Great coordinator. Great guy. Doesn't matter. Not a CEO. Not the guy that can lead a team. There are guys that are head coaches. And then there are guys that are, head, that are in head coach positions that are coordinators. That we have learned in preseason. Hugh Jackson will be gone before, before, not at the end of this year. He'll be gone before the end of this season. We'll be right back, and we will take those phone calls. 
Are you worried if you're a Titans fan? Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us here on this Monday. Preseason game three in the books, Saturday. Uh, Not a great day for Titans fans. Luckily, it didn't count. It was regular season. Probably would have gone similarly because the Steelers are really good and just loaded, loaded with offensive talent. 615-737-1045. Are you worried if you're a Titans fan? Are you going to overreact to this preseason, which I told you, instructed you in that first segment not to do? We go to the phones. Bill is on a cell phone tonight. Bill, what's up, buddy? Hey, man, doing well. Love your uh, show, uh, Jay Mart. But uh, no, I, I I agree with your uh, with your perception that they need to go ahead and uh, nick down that preseason. I think two preseason games and then two extra regular season games would make the product that much better. Make it almost a little bit more like college football, where every game kind of matters a little bit more. But uh, but also, uh, I do take uh, kind of a different uh, look on uh, putting Marcus Mariota, I think, in bubble wrap. You know, the one, yeah, McVeigh in uh, L.A., he's uh, he's not even putting uh, Burley or Goff on the field this preseason. But you look up in New England, the model that you can say is, the, you know, the model on the pedestal to follow. Uh, Tom Brady took a lot of snaps this weekend. So uh, I'll hang up and listen, but I, I don't think these guys should be completely in bubble wrap. They need to get their bodies and you know timing and all the uh, the small things uh, together before the season. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. All right, Bill. Appreciate the kind words. Look, I mean, I can see the argument for why you would want to get them out there for a little bit. I'm just saying, man, there's a lot of risk there. There's a whole lot of risk there for not a whole lot of learning. I don't think that playing in the preseason all of a sudden makes you that much more ready for the regular season. And I'm not saying that maybe they shouldn't play at all. I'm just saying we do have, I think, at least one too many preseason games. The one thing I would differ with you on, Bill, is that I would suggest you nix that preseason game and not add any more regular season games. You could look at it from a health perspective, but I still think 16 games of regular season is enough on these guys for what they put their bodies through. I I think that less football in this case is more. And less is more, by the way, is going to be a focus of the final segment of this show. I have teased this many times and then not gotten to it before or teased this kind of topic. In the final segment of this show, one of the reasons that I was brought on to do this job was because of the writing that I've done for several years about pop culture and other things in addition to sports. And you know, a lot of people tweet me about television shows and film and all these things. In the final segment today, I'm going to give you the list of things that have you not seen them in 2018 you need to get them on your list. And I'm going to give you a, an explanation of one trend that I've been noticing across television that I think needs to change and that a few series have figured out how to do it right. So that's a tease for later on in the show. Let's take Brandon in Nashville. Brandon, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Tighten up. So, yeah, I just wanted to come on and um, I'm not really concerned about uh, the success of the team just judging by preseason. But the one thing I did uh, notice and wanted to come on and talk about was Derrick Henry's, uh, his pass blocking. That is one thing that concerns me. You know, I could be wrong about this, but um, that may be why uh, Mike Malarkey 
stuck with DeMarco Murray for so long just because of uh, Henry's uh, struggle struggle at the pass blocking. That's interesting. You know, no one, at least that's called this show, has said anything about that. Um, you know, everybody's going to see different things. Everybody is paying attention to different things. Everybody is going to nitpick different things as well. But, I mean, one of the things that we know from last year, in particular in the Arizona game, Derrick Henry had 13 snaps in that game. I remember the Tennessee writing an article. Basically, DeMarco Murray was much better in pass pro than Derrick Henry was. And so having Murray out there was better overall for the offense at that stage than Henry was. In terms of running, Henry's probably going to be the better option even in that game because Murray was running out of steam by that stage. But having Murray out there to give Mariota more time, to give these receivers a couple of extra seconds to find a way to create space in the open field was better for the overall offense. So I think that there's validity certainly behind that. I just continue to say if you're watching the preseason and you were trying to base things on the preseason, you need to stop. There have been, you can go back and find this, teams that went winless in the preseason that were outstanding in the regular season. And we've seen many times, I think, what was it, the Lions several years ago were undefeated in the preseason and then absolutely disastrous in the regular season. There are teams that take it seriously, and then there are teams that really don't. In terms of, I mean, everybody takes it seriously from a perspective of the guys on the bubble, the guys that are trying to make the 53. But in terms of the starters, like, does Aaron Rodgers need to step out on the field in the preseason? I would say no, especially that guy, because he's been hurt a lot. We saw some of Deshaun Watson. He's looked very good. You can see a little bit of these guys. You don't need to see a lot of them. I don't think they, I don't even think the starters need to play four, maybe not even three. You know, you get a half out of, Mariota, for example, on Saturday, you get a half out of Roethlisberger or however long that they're going to leave him out there. Just get him a couple of reps. I think that that's better. But again, Mariota's played 21 minutes in these three games, and that was Mickey Ryan doing that math um, on 3HL earlier today. He's basically been a part of 40 plays during the preseason. I mean, Clemson ran, I think, 94 against Alabama in the national championship alone two years ago when they upset the Tide and Deshaun Watson won the national championship. That's a lot of plays, and we saw a lot of plays in that Georgia game with Oklahoma as well in the semifinal this past year. That's a lot of plays. 40 plays is not a whole lot of plays in three games. I don't know how that stacks up with the rest of the league, it would take me time to go through and see how many snaps all of these quarterbacks have played. But 40 snaps isn't a lot. But have has Marcus Mariota gotten better because of that? I guess that's the only thing that I would continue to point to as all it takes is one player, one second, and Marquise Lee is out for the year. Or Darius Geis is out for the year. And there's going to be injuries in week one of the regular season. Hopefully nobody's going to see their season come to an end, but it's highly possible. We might see some seasons come to an end on Thursday. We don't want to see anybody get hurt, not for the business of the NFL or the product, but because these guys work so hard. And it sucks when you're getting so close to the regular season and it gets taken away from you. Right here in Nashville with Jonathan Cyprian, who was a really good dude. Ask anybody on that team. You want to root for Jonathan Cyprian. 
watching him go down non-contact in that practice and his season is over. I haven't talked to him since. Matter of fact, I've never spoken to him before. But that had to be devastating. The preseason is a risk. Four preseason games is 240 minutes worth of potential risk. How much are we learning about these starters? I don't feel any worse about Marcus Mariota today than I did on Saturday before he threw that terrible pass to Corey Davis. And I don't feel any better about him from the way he played on that drive in the first preseason game where he went down when they went straight down the field and scored or in the game where Taewon Taylor took it to the, you know, took that 47, 48 yarder into the end zone in the second preseason game. None of that really matters to me because those points didn't count. Like that's cool and all if you're a fan, but not at any point have I seen some drive in preseason that's done a good thing. The only things that we remember about preseason football are the terrible things. They're the injuries to Julian Edelman or Marquise Lee right now or what I said in the first segment, Hugh Jackson proving he's not a head coach in this league. Because when Terod Taylor went back into that game, on top of the fact that Baker Mayfield couldn't even get reps in practice with the first team because they want it known, because Hugh Jackson wants it known that Terod Taylor is going to be the starting quarterback because he thinks Tyrod Taylor has a chance to win six or seven games for him and keep his job. They're not going anywhere with Terod Taylor. I think Terod Taylor is a decent quarterback. He's probably about an eight and eight, nine and seven kind of quarterback. He's not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. He's not going to win you a Super Bowl. He's probably not going to lead you to the playoffs. He got there with Buffalo last year, but that was sort of by hook or by crook. It wasn't criminal. But that Bengals-Ravens thing was a bit of an aberration. But Hugh Jackson in that moment proved that he's not a head coach. You don't put Terod back in. I don't care how bad he wants to go back in. There's no reason to do that. What if they found out he'd broken a bone in his hand when they looked at it the next day and he's out? Like There's just there's no point to do that. And not giving Mayfield any reps with the ones. Boy, he looked good against the twos. But when he was out there against the ones, he's getting chased all over the place. He's got nowhere to go. He's throwing out of bounds. He's not as accurate. You've got to put him in those situations. That's the whole point of the preseason is to put these guys in pressure-filled situations. I'm not saying you put, you know, the fourth-string guy out there against the ones, but that dude that's about to be the future of your franchise that you gush about constantly in every interview and you gush about on HBO and Hard Knocks, you're not going to give him any reps with your ones in practice, and unless Terod gets injured, you're not going to put him out there in the preseason either. What exactly are you preparing for? Terod Taylor's not the long-term plan in Cleveland. We know that. You know how we know that? Because you wagered your first-round draft pick, the first overall pick in the draft, on a quarterback. That dude's the future. He has to be. John Dorsey's probably tied his own career to that pick. Hugh Jackson's career is definitely tied to that pick. I don't think that he keeps his job anyway. But Baker Mayfield not being out there with the ones is malpractice. Putting Terod Taylor back out there after that injury in a meaningless preseason game? a disastrous five to nothing, just awful watch on Thursday night is also coaching malpractice. He's a coordinator that we have learned in the preseason, but we've learned nothing about Mariota or anybody else. Big six, one four, five, the zone. So try. Big six, one Oh four, five, the zone here on a Monday. Glad to have you with us. I'm Jason Martin. On Twitter at jmartzone. Follow me there. 615-737-1045 if you want to join the program. 
and we will let Michael in Watertown do just that. Michael, what's up? What's up, Jay Mark, man? Uh, man, for me personally, what I think they should do instead of having four preseason games is incorporate another bye week. The NFL always wants to talk about protecting the players and this is the player league or blah, blah, blah. I mean, give them another bye week. If 16 games is too long or whatever, you want more games, incorporate another bye week and maybe in the next CBA, the players might want to think about adding two more games. I mean, show some good fans you may never know, but adding that about week in probably the most physical sport there is, it can't hurt. Now, you're, look, you're, you're right. Like, if you're going to add more games, you definitely need another bye week. I am a million percent in agreement with you. Like, that's, I don't know that anybody really disagrees with that point. That's been, that's a point that's been made a lot when the discussion of 18 regular season games has been out there. But yes, you should have a second bye week. Now, it wouldn't be as much fun during a fantasy football draft because you'd have to pay attention a little bit even closer to bye weeks, which are the bane of my existence. But in terms of health and taking care and it being a player's league, couldn't agree more. Absolutely should happen. Now to something I do disagree with, and that is that the media is coming out today and they are just going after the New York Giants for paying Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr., and his now richest wide receiver in the league, more than Antonio Brown, 60-plus million guaranteed over the next five years with the Giants contract, has just put everybody up in arms all of a sudden in the media. I saw the Ringer go after him. I saw the big league go after him. I saw various people, and not the whole organization, but whoever wrote these articles. I'm just going to go to pro football reference real quick. In 2014... At age 22, Odell Beckham Jr. had 91 receptions for 1,305 yards and 12 touchdowns. In 2015, at age 23, Odell Beckham Jr. had 96 receptions for 1,450 yards and 13 touchdowns. In 2016, at age 24, Odell Beckham Jr. 101 grabs for 1,367 yards and 10 touchdowns. His yards per reception for his career, 14.1. He averages 94.1 yards a game over his four-year career. And he's got 38 touchdowns in the 47 games he's played and the 44 starts that he's had. Now, when you pay somebody, you're not paying them for what they've already done unless you're the L.A. Lakers with Kobe Bryant or the New York Yankees with Derek Jeter. But looking further into it, Odell Beckham Jr. is 25 years old. And there is a list of guys that have declined precipitously after age 25 at the receiver spot. And then there's a list of guys that have even gotten better. So there's a balance there to be found. But the argument seems to be that Odell Beckham Jr. off the field is he's a little bit dangerous. You know, powdery white substances on Instagram and maybe an assault that happened and volatile and his one-time enemy and then later friend, the kicking net on the sidelines. All I know is that Odell Beckham Jr. has caught over 4,400 yards worth of passes in basically three and a third years because he got injured last year, only had 302 yards and three touchdowns in his two starts and his four games. 
if you're going to risk it on a receiver, Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, and then you can continue to name some other guys. But it took no time for the media to just pile on the Giants for paying him and then going after his off-field problems. But if you want to pile on the New York Giants and you're in the media, how about you go after them for not drafting a quarterback and believing in Eli Manning in 2018? If you're sticking with Eli, you better pay Odell Beckham Jr. You better have the best receiver in the game or at least number two, if you want to go with Antonio Brown, who I think I would, is the best all-around receiver, but Beckham's right there. If he's healthy, OBJ's a game-changer. He's somebody you've got to account for on every single play, or you're going to face the consequences. Odell got paid. This is real simple. Odell Beckham Jr. got paid, despite his problems, because of his value. His value pushes the scales in his favor, even when you see drugs in videos or there's alleged assaults or whatever else. He's definitely a different dude. But he also showed up at camp and said he knew things would get worked out. He wasn't as worried about the money. He knew he needed to be ready for the season. Do you pay him? To me, you take care of that guy and you hope what he's, that he is what he's been in the past. The injury risk, now that's real. The knucklehead risk might be real too. But the on-field reward is definitely real. And I don't really look at Odell Beckham Jr. the way I did the later version of Chad Ochocinco Johnson, Ochocinco Johnson, or the way I look at Des Bryant right now, the one that seems to just wait around waiting for this offer that's not going to come as opposed to just staying with the Browns or going with the Ravens or one of the teams that's already said, look, we've got interest in you. Maybe he lands in New England. That might be the perfect spot for him if they want him and they need receivers. But... Odell Beckham Jr. is probably one if I'm the G-man I'm going to take care of. They, they're going to have to address the QB spot, and that's no offense to Davis Webb. But they used the second pick on Saquon Barkley, and that raised eyebrows because of the current NFL game. I think Saquon's a game-changing kind of back. I love him. I think he's going to do for them a lot what Ezekiel Elliott has done for the Cowboys. But if you want to look at why wide receivers should get paid today or why they are getting paid... Look at the rule changes. In particular, the catch rule, which now favors the receiver. So there's going to be catches granted that weren't before. And a lot of those catches are probably going to take place in painted areas known as end zones. So they become infinitely more valuable to wide receivers. Now, Vegas will tell you the only thing that will move a line is a quarterback going down or a great quarterback being involved in a football game. J.J. Watt goes out, doesn't change anything. A running Le'Veon Bell's out, doesn't even move the needle a half point for the Pittsburgh Steelers at any, at any juncture. But if you're looking on the field in terms of value for a wide receiver, all the rules are now designed to add offense and to protect the guys going down the field. The targeting penalties, the lowering the head stuff, and certainly the catch rule favor wide receivers. That means having a game-breaking, once-in-a-lifetime guy at that position is much more lucrative to winning football games than maybe it has been at any point in the history of the league because it's a quarterback's league, but the quarterback is nothing without his targets. Now he's got a target, and it's now a rule with this catch rule that favors the wide receiver in a way that it hasn't in a while. So are you going to pay 
the best receiver or at worst the second best receiver in the NFL and Odell Beckham Jr. if you're the Giants in a division that's going to be hotly contested when you've got a young Saquon Barkley that might make it easier on those receivers because finally you're going to have to account for the Giants backfield again to me that's a no-brainer we'll be right back big six 104.5 the zone Final segment of the program, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Sonic Youth bringing us home today. The mid-aughts, this album came out. Incinerate the name of the tune if you're digging it. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045 if you want to join us at 737-1045. I said Odell Beckham Jr. If I'm the Giants, I'm doing exactly what they did today. Especially with the way the rules are now designed in the favor of the wide receivers. Especially with this sort of recalculated catch rule. Jim in the borough has a thought on this. Jim, what's up, man? What up, Jay Mart? Uh, glad to have you on the radio. I've been reading your stuff for a while, but uh, glad to hear your voice. Uh, I want to talk about OBJ. Totally agree with you. Um, his value, uh, first of all. I mean, you, you talk about uh, he, he's in the New York market, so, so that helps, but um, typically – uh, speaking, the QB makes makes a wide receiver, and in in OBJ's case, it's the opposite. Um, he makes catches on the field that uh, that nobody else makes. So, so you're paying him for that first of all. Second of all, uh, what was it? Forty five million guaranteed. Totally worth it. Ten um, year olds going in every every ten year old I see pretty much has an OBJ um, jersey on, and and you're getting those 10-year-olds, and they're going to be Giants fans for life. So um, I don't know if you can put a value to that, but, uh, you know, you're, you're getting that. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I don't think they overpaid at all. And, um, I, I, you know, I think he's bringing, bringing people that typically aren't going to watch the Giants. Um, they're going to watch the Giants because OBJ – is going to be on the field. And then lastly, we're in a fantasy football world now that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that people are going to just, they're going to have him on a team. They're going to watch the, the giants. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's an investment, not a, not an overspend. So those are my thoughts. Uh, Jay Mark, good, good to have you on. We'll talk to you later. Appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. Just to clarify, he said 45 million guaranteed. Odell can get sixty-five million guaranteed, ninety-five million max over the course of the deal. It's more than Antonio Brown. It's more than Mike Evans. Set to make eight point four million on the fifth-year option of his rookie contract. This reworks it, gives him a twenty million dollars signing bonus. They're going to say three million against the cap. We can get into the weeds of the numbers, but he's set. Odell Beckham Jr. is set. To me, that's a risk I take, especially in this version of the NFL. All right. I said earlier off the top that I was not going to blow this tease again, and I was actually going to get to some pop culture. So I'm going to do that on the way out the door. A lot of people ask me, what should I be watching on TV? What should I be watching at the movies? Right now at the movies, you know, there's some stuff out there to see, but there's nothing that like, should be burning a hole in your pocket unless you haven't seen Mission Impossible. But in terms of television, which is sort of what brought me to the dance in terms of a pop culture writer, I'm going to give you a list of some stuff that you should have seen already. And if you haven't, you need to jump on it as soon as humanly possible. And I'm going to explain it in this way first. 
Sharp Objects came to a finish last night on HBO. And uh, my review is up at 1045thezone.com slash big6blog. You can add that to your bookmarks, and you'll get all of my writing, whether it's about sports, pro wrestling, pop culture, whatever it is, you'll get it right there. But I had watched the Sharp Objects finale about a week ago, screened that, and put together the review yesterday afternoon. And I think that the ending made it worth my time to have watched the series, but I'll never watch it again. And one of the critiques that I had about it is one of the critiques that I'm noticing more and more as I'm watching drama on TV right now. And that is that a lot of these shows that I'm finding myself less and less interested in are the ones that have no redeeming value in any of the characters that we see on screen. A drama that has just awful people from top to bottom is almost unwatchable at this point because it's done so much sharp objects. There was not anybody on that show to root for except for Camille Preaker's editor, Frank Curry. And that's what I said in the review. There were a couple of shades of gray there and maybe you were pulling for Amy Adams. You were pulling for Camille, but she was kind of terrible too. They were all so damaged and they were all so miserable. And that misery translates through the screen and through osmosis, it gets into you. And by the time you get to the end of the episode, you hate it. And you hate you. And you just want to go do something else. I felt the same way about Ozark. And I'm watching the second season right now. It comes out on Friday. I'll be writing about it. And I felt that way about season one of Ozark. They went for style over substance. They did a bunch of things they didn't need to do to try to be salacious. And there was nobody to root for in that show either. A little bit different because Jason Bateman started out like somebody you could root for when you knew his story. But by the end, there was no protagonist there. There was nobody that you liked. There was no situation on that show that you liked. And that is not new. That is something that we are seeing more and more across shows. But I'm going to tell you the shows that you need to watch quickly right now. If you didn't watch Barry on HBO, do it. Bill Hader's show, great. If you have not watched The Sinner, on USA, it's fantastic. Season two is in the pretty much in the middle stages right now. Season one's on Netflix. Season two is phenomenal. Succession is the best new show of 2018. And it's full of unlikable people, but they got it right. And the reason they got it right is because all you have to do is find balance and make it funny. It can't all be misery. If everybody is unlikable, then you've got to have a balance between drama and comedy. And that's what Succession found. And that's why you should absolutely be watching it. I've got more to say about this. I'll save it for Wednesday. But again, Succession, The Sir, Barry are three shows that should be on your list right now. On our way out the door, let's make you smarter. Manu Ginobili retired today officially. One of just eight players in NBA history to win four NBA titles and an Olympic gold medal. Manu, though, is the only one not born in America to do it. 16 great years. Selfless came off the bench, still turned in superstar performances and, a, I think, a Hall of Fame career. Maybe more Spurs than anybody other than Tim Duncan and maybe David Robinson that I've ever seen. What a classy guy. What a career. Big orange hotline is next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. Saying good night. We'll see you Wednesday. Variable tomorrow night.